You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right, North Valley family, yeah, grab a seat. Hey, again, so glad that you're here. My name's Jonathan. Um, want to draw your attention to two very important opportunities that we have before us. We are four weeks out from Easter Sunday. It's just around the corner. And as a staff team, leadership team here at North Valley, we are so excited about Easter. It's an incredible time of year. Um, when you came in, uh, there's an invitation card sitting in your seat, and here's what we want to do with this. Each one, reach one. Each one, reach one. You have family, you have friends, you have coworkers, you have somebody on your street um, that is just waiting for an invitation to join you at an Easter service. So check the back side. We have all the information about Easter that's going on here at North Valley. We have four services Start making plans now. Which service do you plan to attend? And then invite somebody to join you at that service. If we as a church family all invite one person, what an incredible opportunity we're going to have this Easter to share with a large number of people about Jesus Christ. And so we're challenging you. Will you consider each one reach one? Let's all reach one person and invite them to join us for Easter. I'm going to take this this week, and I hope maybe next week I can share a story with you, a really neat story about how God um, allowed me to invite somebody And I want to hear your story too. I want to hear the neat experience that you have about somebody that you run into that you get to invite to Easter, okay? Not only do we have four services, check out the back. We have an Easter event. It's going to be an incredible time. We're going to fill this courtyard with Easter eggs. We're going to let the kids go wild. Parents, you have to stay back, okay? Just the kids. Uh, Kids go wild. We're going to have games. We're going to have food. It's going to be a great environment, a lot of fun. And we want you to participate with us in that, okay? So Easter's just around the corner. Second, I want to talk to you about the Unleashed event, and so these cards are back by the doorway on your way out, but we're hosting a Bible conference here in just two weeks. This is an incredible opportunity, friends. Um, The caliber of speakers, the the people that are going to be here, we have three seminary presidents coming. Um, It's just going to be a a really neat environment and an incredible opportunity, Um, a highly interactive conference where we're going to be gathered around tables, we're going to have access to these speakers, we're going to get to ask questions. Um, there's very few other opportunities um, to have such a, an, uh, an interactive time with these um, seminary presidents and pastors from around the valley that are influential speakers, that are influential church leaders. And so we want to invite you, as since we're the host church, we want to invite you to join us for it. And so for North Valley, um, on your program, uh, you have our social media handle, N Valley Church. That's your discount code. So if you've been thinking about uh, coming to the conference, but you haven't jumped in yet, we've got a discount code for you. You can get in for just $35, okay? If you are already coming and have already uh, registered for that, thank you so much. Um, If you want to make use of this discount, we'll refund you um, the extra dollars um, from paying full price. So we just want to make it accessible to us. And now I have another more highly accessible way you too can come to this conference, okay? Thursday, March 15th, we need eight volunteers to show up on campus and help us set up for the conference, okay? Eight volunteers. So if you are one of the first eight to text that number, you get to come to the conference for free. So you don't have to work during the conference, but Thursday night, we're going to set up the environment. Saturday evening after the conference, we're going to take it down. If we get eight volunteers, we'll be in and out in less than two hours, and you get to come for free. So be one of the first eight. I'm not the greatest salesman, but first eight people, text it right now. Don't worry, my phone's not going to go off. We're not going to disrupt Ryan, but you text it right now and you can come for free and we'd love your help just getting tables set up to prepare the environment for us to talk about unleashing the word of God in the local church, okay? 
Well, guys, I'm so excited about all these opportunities. Um, we look forward to uh, spending time with you in these opportunities as well, and glad you're here. Let me pray for us this morning. God, thank you for um, your presence with us. Thank you for these um, events that are coming up and the great opportunity that we have to share with our friends, coworkers, neighbors, family members about Jesus Christ. God, we look forward to all that you're going to do this year through Easter, through this Bible conference. Thank you um, for your favor upon our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. Well, hey, guys. Good morning. Great to be with you guys. My wife and I were on a uh, a little staycation last weekend. So if you were here, Pastor Bob from up the road preached for for us. That was good. Um, How many of you guys know Pastor Bob from AZ Hills? Anybody? A couple of you guys. Okay. Well, hopefully he did a pretty good job. I heard the message. I thought he did good. My wife and I just celebrated 15 years uh, of marriage. We had we make it an annual tradition to where we go and we, we do uh, time to get away just to get together. And uh, we did an Airbnb. Anybody ever done Airbnb before? That was cool. That thing worked out really good. We were in Scottsdale, did a little staycation. It was a really cool experience. We're down in Arcadia, Tempe, uh, Town Market, and a bunch of different places uh, hanging out there and just spending time together. So um, this morning, I'm, I'm back, and, I, and I, I'm glad to see you guys. And uh, we're starting a new series this morning called Treasure. And really, if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up. We're in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19, 20, and 21 over the next uh, three weeks. And we're taking the big idea about what Jesus says about resources and money. And so um, this morning, there's this command that Jesus makes, and he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And I'm like, what in the world? I love earth, and I love the creation, and I like stuff, um, but we're not supposed to store it up. And so we're going to look at why Jesus said that. That's a big question. Like, why, why are you saying that? What does that mean? Um, so... How many of you guys ever hunted for treasure, like gold or silver or anything, like Lost Dutchman's Mines, Superstition Mountains, people go out and do treasure hunts? Ever done a treasure hunt? Raise your hand. Any kind of treasure hunt. What about a magnet detector or the metal detector? You know? Uh, As a kid, I went on a, seriously, a silver hunt, like in the caves of Arkansas as a kid, and we would go, my dad would lower me down in these caves where he could barely get me out of. It wasn't very safe parenting, but... You know, hey, you, the, seriously, what's the goal of parenting anyway? Do you want to keep them safe or you want to make them strong, you know? Like, make them strong. You don't need safe kids. You need strong kids. My dad would lower me down in the silver mine and go, hey, you know, he'd have to lower me ropes to pull me out. And, like, that's how I grew up, hunting for stuff like that. Um, treasure, we're going on a treasure hunt. Um, have you ever sang that song, going on a treasure hunt, X marks the spot? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, that's a kid thing. Um, some of you guys in the news, how many of you have seen the news recently, uh, treasure, the greatest lost treasure in American history just happened. This is a big deal. Let me read you this. This is really cool. It kind of sounds like the plot of a Hollywood film, $50 million worth of gold bars and coins were discovered in a sunken ship that sat in the ocean for 150 years, was just discovered, not... It was discovered, well, it wasn't just discovered, but this treasure is now on display in Long Beach Convention Center, and you can buy this treasure. You can buy one coin. It's going up for a million dollars a coin, though. 
So they're going to make some bank on that. This is a real story of a sunken ship that got lost in a hurricane, and the treasure goes down. Um, Just happened. The greatest American uh, lost treasure in American history. You can Google that. It's very interesting, though. The treasure hunter who found the ship is now in jail because he was mishandling the money, you know, and all sorts of stuff. Uh, you know, that's, that's uh, I don't know how they, what all happened, but 500 coins were missing. And so treasures really do exist. People still are looking for all sorts of treasures. On our little staycation, my wife and I went out to the Superstition Mountains. I, I, I guess that there's some kind of legend goes that people go out there and find gold. Is, is that what helped me out here? Is that... That, that happens, or that there's a story, the Lost Dutchman's gold mine and all that stuff. So I was looking for gold out there, didn't find any. Uh, but we're looking this morning at, at God's word is what it has to say about treasure. It's very interesting, Jesus speaks about treasure, and um, let's, just, let's just jump into it. Uh, look what he says, Matthew six nineteen through 21. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up there um, as well as on the screens. And then we're going to be in, in, uh, looking at a number of different passages as it relates to what Jesus' teaching is. He makes a command. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures, note that word treasure, treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. Those are little critters. And he says, and where thieves break in. Those are thieves, and they steal, but do this. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your, what, treasure is, there your heart will also, or will be also. Jesus is after the heart. The whole issue about not storing up treasures is about a heart issue. We, we can, you know, the Bible says uh, the heart is wicked above all things. Uh, the Bible says, guard your heart. Jesus says the greatest commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your what? The whole thing about treasure that we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks is in issues of the heart. This, this is how the 21-day journey to find treasure. We're going to look at treasures on earth. We're going to look at treasures in heaven, and then treasures of the heart. One biblical passage, one teaching of Jesus, all about treasure. Mentions it three different times. Treasures on earth, don't lay up those things. That's what he's saying. Uh, Treasures in heaven, that's the investment you want to make. You want to invest into that. And so next week, we're going to figure out, how do you do that? How do you lay up treasures in heaven? How do you do that? Uh, And then lastly, we'll look at treasures of the heart. Let me... Let me make this point. Jesus offers investment advice. How many of you guys invest at all? Invest, save for the future, invest. Raise your hands, investors. Okay, we don't have, let's raise them higher. Let me see all the investors. There we go. All right, lower your hands now. Jesus offers the best investment advice. I thought about it this morning as I was praying and thinking about this. I was thinking, Lord, I don't know how long I have to live. And the Bible talks about eternity a lot. We don't think about eternity very much. We think about earth a whole lot. Jesus offers investment advice. Um, 
what I do want to encourage you to think about before we get started is I want you to know where I'm going and what the Bible does say and doesn't say. The Bible doesn't advocate a poverty theology nor a prosperity theology. The Bible advocates a stewardship theology. That means that everything in the world, including money and all material possessions, is ultimately created by God and it is to be used for his glory and our good. Amen? So, you know, it is a false notion to think that the Bible is, says that it's, you're going to be holy if you're poor, that you need to take a vow of poverty and then you'll be holy and good. How many of you know poor people that are really godly and wonderful, sweet people? Yeah. How many of you know rich people, really rich people, really wealthy people that are godly, and generous, and invest into kingdom resources? You know what I'm saying? How many of you know poor people that are as ungodly and ruthless as you could ever imagine, conniving, manipulative people, scamming and scheming all the time? And then you know rich people that do the same kind of thing. The Bible doesn't say, oh, you're going to be more godly if you're poor or you're going to be more godly if you're rich. The Bible advocates whatever you have for the poor and for the rich, the message is, is that we're to be stewards. Everything God's given us, everything God's made, we're to use for his glory and even our good. So this morning, as we look at this passage, let's look Matthew 6, 19. Jesus is kind of challenging the hoarder mentality. Look what he says. This is not a, a suggestion. It's not some flippant statement. He makes it very clear. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. You can't, you can't stockpile all the gold, all the goods, all the stuff over and over and over again. And actually what was happening is, is the Pharisees, a religious group within Jesus' time, much adopted the idea of prosperity theology. They thought that the more material possession you have is an indication of their holiness and their righteousness and their goodness and God's favor and blessing on their life. So all the stuff that they had was just a sign that they were doing really, really well. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way I want you to think at all. They were even uh, paying off people in the temple to store their riches in the temple because they knew that if they put all their treasures in the temple, that thieves are at least a little less likely to break into a temple, a holy place, and steal from there. Uh, Many people in that day and time, they would put their resources in a chest in their home, in the center of their home, but back then it was real easy. You didn't have ADT alarm systems to go off if an intruder came in. So people could easily get into the house and steal stuff, but there was this mentality of constantly gathering their resources. And Jesus is saying, I don't want your heart to be invested in the earthly treasure. I want your heart to be focused on an internal treasure. Um, How many of you guys have maybe some hoarders in the family or you could acknowledge and admit you do a little hoarding yourself? You might be a hoarder if your garage is so full you can't park your cars in there. You might be a hoarder if you had to build an extra barn just to put your stuff in there or an extra, get an extra storage facility. I think back in uh, Arkansas, when we developed a big piece of land, uh, my job was as a kid, I had to build out all the fences. My dad said I had my PhD. I was a post hole digger. And uh, then we had to build barns and facilities. And my dad was putting stuff in there all the time, boats and trucks we were going to work on and all this stuff. 
And it filled up. And every time I go back, I'm like, Dad, you got more stuff. And he's like, yeah, I know. I need to build a bigger barn. Uh, he's joking. We know. We got to give that stuff away. Um, my uh, Dallas, my grandmother passed away. Um, my grandfather did too. But there was times I look back at my childhood memories as we'd go over to grandma's house. They never had their cars parked inside. And their hoods would always just like deteriorate because the sun was just blasting the hood, you know, just like we do in, in AZ. Uh, but uh, th- we would go ki- as kids play in the garage. And I remember one time we were playing in the garage as a kid and I got stuck in all the stuff. The, pile, the stuff was piled up everywhere. I got stuck and my little brother had to go find my family to get me out of the stuff. I was stuck in the stuff. Hoarding. You know what the problem with hoarding is? It's an issue really of the heart. That you think you have to have more to be happy or you're afraid to let things go. It's an issue of the heart, really. It's a behavioral issue. Like hoarders really need therapy. That's what they need. They need therapy to, under, un, to figure out why are you hoarding. Um, you know, my family and I, we adopted a little girl named uh, Maya. She's a sweet little kid. She's six years old. I'll show you a picture. I think we got a picture uh, of my little daughter that we adopted. It's kind of oftentimes this is what happens with kids, not my kid, because my kid's in a safe, secure, loving home. Little kids that uh, oftentimes are in a position where they don't have a lot. They're going from foster home to foster home to whatever, or their group home. They're afraid that they don't have enough stuff. So whatever they get, they'll hide and they'll put under their bed and they'll hoard. And then when somebody that doesn't understand the heart of a child like that situation, they think, what's wrong with that child? Why are you acting so silly and dumb to hide all the food under your bed that's going to rot? Here's why, because there's an issue of the heart. The kid doesn't understand that they can put their dependence and trust on a loving father and a mother to care for their needs. Now, let me tell you something. You're like Maya. Do you trust the Lord that he's going to provide for you? Or do you feel like you have to take everything you've got and hide it and hold it? The way we live as Christians is that you and I, me and you, are supposed to be like children, and our hearts are to be fully trusting in the Lord, and that you and me, we don't have to store up all our stuff out of fear that God's not going to provide. We don't have to get more stuff. We can trust that God's going to make a way. The Bible says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Why does Jesus say that? Five reasons why I believe Jesus says this. First one is, is just it won't last, and we can't take it with us to heaven. It won't last very simply, very practically. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. He gives two reasons why, where moths and vermin destroy. It's going to get destroyed. The clothes that you have, they're not going to last forever. As a kid, I remember growing up, and they had those terrible patches that you could iron on your pants. You ever seen those before? As a kid growing up, I hated those. I was so embarrassed. My mom would send me to school and I had these huge like iron-on patches on my jeans. I wished the moths would come in and eat my clothes alive so I wouldn't have to wear the patches clothes. But things just don't last. I was hiking yesterday. Look what I found. iPhone right there. 
I guess the guy was frustrated and mad because, you know, um, it got outdated or it didn't work, and so he trashed it on the trail. Uh, I, I don't know. The point is, stuff doesn't last. The Bible says that Jesus makes a very practical point that the thieves can break in and steal. You leave your purse in the car, somebody can smash the window and grab your purse. Kid you not, this truly happened at my house. Listen to this. My wife was in the garage. She's part ninja, by the way. My wife is Ninja Leslie. That's what you need to know her as. She, the garage door was open. She was working, doing something. We had a weed eater hanging up. And this lady drives by, parks her car, gets out, runs into my garage, grabs the weed eater off the wall. Little does she know she's got a ninja lurking in the background. My wife runs out and goes, what are you doing? And then she grabs the weed eater from this lady stealing our weed eater. And she says, give me that. And they're fighting over the weed eater. And then she pulls it from her and she says, okay, lady, it's yours. And my wife's like, she comes in and she says, you never guessed what I did. I just pulled a weed eater out of a thief's hand. I was like, you are bad to the bone, baby. But we probably don't want her to have a concealed weapons license because she'd probably pull that thing out real quick. So I'm like, sweetie, you should have just let the weed eater go. Like, stuff doesn't last. Stuff doesn't last. You can't take it with us uh, as well. You can't take it with you. The Bible says that we have, we have brought nothing into the world. We can't take anything out of the world. Amen. So the Egyptians didn't understand this. When they buried their, their kings, they put them in pyramids with tons of stuff. That'd be like you go to a funeral and you see the hearse pull up and then there's a big U-Haul. What's the U-Haul for? He's taking his stuff with him. You just don't see that. The Bible's very clear, very practical that, listen to this, our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we'll be, man. You and me, North Valley. Team North Valley, we're in heaven. Forever. There's an almighty king. We're citizens of heaven. And so we're just passing through. Pilgrim theology is the idea and understanding that you're a pilgrim, that you're just passing through. You're a sojourner. You've got to have an eternal perspective, not simply an earthly perspective. Material possessions and all that stuff, yeah, use it for good and for God's glory. Do that. Don't let your heart be there, though. Because as soon as, some, as something happens, you just need to move on and be okay. Can't take it with us. We're citizens in heaven. Let's well, second, second reason why I believe that Jesus said, do not store up treasures on earth. He's not saying all of it's terrible and bad. It's just that material possessions and money can be incredibly dangerous. Do you hear me? Watch this. The apostle Paul challenges his young little protege, Timothy, church ministry leader, a young guy who's in charge and got a lot of responsibilities. He says this. He says, those giving advice to Timothy, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires and plunge people into ruin and destruction. Wanting to get rich is just dangerous. Wanting to be uber wealthy and think that you're going to be uber generous and godly is probably a false idea. 
In fact, research actually shows, let me just read to you some research about this. I'm going to be the myth buster on you for a minute. Some of you guys would say, well, you know, I want to get wealthy and I, I want to be rich. I got a lot of friends that have said this, and, and I used to say this, Lord, make me a millionaire and I'll be so generous. Like a lot of my friends say that, you know, they're business guys. I went to business school. I didn't know I was going to go into ministry and then I went into ministry, but they, Lord, if you just make me incredibly wealthy, I'll be incredibly rich. Listen to this statistic. The average churchgoer who makes $50,000 gives roughly 6% of their income to charities. The average churchgoer who makes $200,000 only gives 4%. And the higher the number goes of the more money that you make, actually the lower the percentage that you actually give and be generous. Why is that? Because materialism can be like a master and it robs you of serving the Lord Jesus, your master. There's a danger in this. Look at the language that the apostle Paul uses. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation a trap. He like uses like describing what a hunter and an animal does. Like the hunter lays out the trap, the animal is lured into it. And before you know it, they know it, they're stuck in a trap. It's a, this idea of your desires, you're constantly wanting to be rich. Isn't, it's an American dream. It's not a God dream. Does God want to use wealthy people? Absolutely. But God wants to use you right where you're at, wherever financial position you find yourself in. The Apostle Paul has given some godly advice. This is why Jesus would have said this. Don't lay up, don't set your minds and hearts on laying up treasures on earth. Focus on, he's going to say later, we're going to see laying up treasures in heaven. The reason why is because it's dangerous. It's dangerous to the faith. It's dangerous to the family. Uh, years ago, I uh, was in a back in Little Rock, Arkansas, in a little community, the first community that got air conditioners in America, supposedly. That was our claim to fame. Built in the 1950s, 1940s, or something like that, supposedly, we, we got air conditioners first. There was a lot of old retiree folks there. There was a lot of widows there. And this scheme, this scam, started circulating through the neighborhood. And they were saying, if you... Um, if you invest your money into this religious organization, then God's money is going to just pour down over you and you're going to find yourself in so much financial freedom and paying all your medical bills and paying all your insurance issues and blah, 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 blah. And they had a little, I opened up the envelope. This is years and years ago, back in Little Rock. And it has a prayer mat and it says, it was a paper, paper, prayer mat. Open up the prayer mat, lay it down, and you pray and, and for this financial prayer, and then God's provision is going to come abundantly and uh, fix all your problems. But you got to send your money to their organization. It was a scam, preying upon people that were in great financial need. Um, when you're desperate for money, you'll do dumb things. You can compromise and fall into a trap. So many of you guys may be seen... Uh, uh, some of the Chronicles of Narnia or Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's a scene in there where Eustace is enamored by gold and treasure. And it's a temptation and it's a trap and he falls straight into it and then turns into this hideous beast. And only Aslan can free him from that. It's a trap. It's danger. Or maybe you've seen Lord of the Rings where uh, Schmeagel was once this kind of adorable hobbit 
And then he turns into this hideous little creature named Gollum because he falls under the lust and the love of the, the power of the ring, his precious. And that, that ring, that pursuit, that desire twists what's good and makes it evil and greedy and terrible. When Paul says those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, he's being serious. Why did Jesus say, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth? He said that because he knows the danger that incredible wealth can bring. Look what the Apostle Paul says, though. He says, for, the, for money is the root of all kinds of evil. No, he didn't say that. Look what it says. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Money is not evil. Money is good. Money can be used for great good. But it's the love of money. He says the love of money, he corrects any kind of wrong thinking about wealth, material possessions, is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and, and pierced themselves with many pangs. That word pangs means literally deep, sharp anxiety. Anybody ever had a panic attack? It feels like you're having a heart attack. I had that happen to me when I was at Dallas Seminary. I was under lots of financial pressure, lots of uh, uh, academic pressure, lots of home pressure. I had two kids. I got two for the price of one. We had twins, and I was like, well, at least it works financially a little bit. But it's still a lot of headache. It was new. And I had these intense anxiety attacks because I wasn't getting enough sleep. The Bible's using this kind of language here is that this love of money can lead you away and pull you away from what is good and godly, and it can hurt you. Look at the language, pierce themselves with many pangs. It's the idea that uh, this constant pursuit of money can really hurt you. It can hurt your family. Um, I've seen in situations in families where some people in the family will loan somebody some money because they've got more money. And then guess what? That's a bad idea because most of the time those people can't pay it back. And then you're watching what they buy on Facebook and you're like, I loaned that guy money and look what he's doing with my money. And then you get mad and then it divides and it hurts and it, it's dangerous. Bible challenges us to think about this idea that wanting to get rich, although that may be an American dream, it's not a biblical, it's not a Jesus dream. This desire to do that can be actually dangerous. Thirdly, money never truly satisfies. King Solomon was the wealthiest and the wisest ever uh, to have lived in ancient Israel. And look what he says about money. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. In other words, it's empty. There's an emptiness there. Uh, that the more you have is not going to truly satisfy. Why does Jesus says, do not sort for yourselves treasures on earth? He's just trying to tell you it's not what's truly going to satisfy you. That's not what's really going to make you happy. Fourthly, I think Jesus said that because this continual desire for more can actually stunt our spiritual growth. If you have an uncontrollable desire for more and more stuff and this desire for things 
can actually stunt your growth. This is, Jesus says this and gives a, a parable to wealthy uh, individuals that have any sort of wealth. And he says, the, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for things to come can come in and choke the word. That's the word of God making it unfruitful. If you've got this constant desire for more and more stuff, your mind's preoccupied with those kinds of things, and it can actually rob you of your spiritual growth. Sometimes um, being in a place where you're in dependence is a really good and godly place to be. Let me, let me back that up and say it like this. It's always a good idea to be in a place of dependence, but the more you have, the harder it is to make your heart want to depend on the Lord. Our biggest problem with God is that we're prideful, that we think we can do it on our own. The more you have, the more independent you can become. Does that make sense? I mean, how are we going to pay for college? It's easy. We got plenty of money. How are we going to do this? Retire? Easy. We got plenty of money. The more you have, sometimes the harder it is to be like a child, to depend on your heavenly father to provide for your needs. So... There's just a warning here that this desire for more and more things can come in and, and the imagery is of a, of a vineyard or, and where there's potentially thorns and thistles and it can choke out the good life and the growth that God wants to do in your life. You know, um, fifthly, here's a, here's a reason why I think is important for us to see why Jesus would say this, is that riches can actually ruin our rest and add stress to our life. If you're having um, trouble sleeping at night, I don't know, maybe you do have a lot of stuff and you could give up more stuff. Here's what the uh, King Solomon says, the wealth of the rich will not allow him to sleep. You just have more stuff to take care of. The more you buy, the more you have, the more responsibility you have. Um, the more people you manage at work, the more stress that brings. The more stuff that you have at your house, you got to take care of. I got a little 50cc dirt bike over here in this little shed over here. We bought it a number of years ago from Maya. I got it on Craigslist up at Anthem. And, and uh, I don't think the thing's running very well right now because I'm not doing a good job on taking care of it. Because you leave a dirt bike sitting around for months and then you go to try to fire it up. It's not going to fire it up unless it's a Honda. <laughs> yeah, you guys know Honda. Yeah, they're, they're great bikes. Uh, but it fires up most of the time. But I wanted to get another bike. But then I started thinking about how often do I even ride the first bike with my little girl? Uh, not, not enough. The more you have to take care of, the more you have to concern yourself about. Um, I worked for a number of years for uh, um, different uh, organizations and, and different people where I got to see people that were incredibly wealthy and worked uh, one year for uh, the Texas Rangers as their chaplain uh, here in Phoenix. And one of my buddies, good godly Christian wealthy man, um, Dave Murphy, he was like a right fielder for the Rangers for a number of years. He told me about, you know, how most of the players, what they'll do is they'll buy a house like out on the West Valley, and then they'll have another house back in Dallas, and sometimes they'll have another house. And so they end up strapping themselves with different houses and different properties all around. And let me ask you a question, how much upkeep do you think that is? When they're laying their head on the 
pillow at night, they're thinking about all the things that they have responsible, that they're responsible for. Uh, years ago, we had Bertrand Berry, Arizona Cardinals football player, come and speak to our church. Um, and he went through a significant financial crisis when he didn't get re-signed. He had multiple houses in different locations. And then when he didn't get re-signed, he, he, he got in serious financial trouble. And it robbed him of his rest. It robbed him and stressed him out. And it left him terribly uh, in a bad situation. Interesting to me, this is, I found this in Sports Illustrated, this, these statistics. It says 78% of NFL players go broke after two years of retirement. Managing money is not easy, especially if you don't know, if you've never had it before. People that fall into lots of money, usually it just amplifies your problems. There's a warning on the wealth. That desire to be rich is very dangerous. 60% of NBA players go broke within five years. So it sounds like the NBA players are a little smarter than football players in some ways. <laughs> uh, but listen to the lottery winners. They go broke easily, and within 24 months, they're broke. Um, so here's a question for you. How do you treasure what you already have? How do, how do you do that? How do you treasure what you already have? Here's the first idea is that you stop the comparison game. Jesus said this, take care and be on guard. <laughs> Listen to that. Be on guard. Be on guard against all covetousness. That's the idea of, of being obsessed with possessions. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. In other words, what he's saying is, is the more stuff you have, it's not going to make you happier. It, it can be kind of cool. You know, I got an, an iPhone right here, and, and then what's the newest iPhone? The iPhone like X, is that what it's called? This thing's like a thousand bucks. Some of you guys got one, and you're like, yeah, I got one. Well, it could wind up like this in just about a year. You get mad because it came out with a Y and then a Z iPhone. It's like, okay, stop playing the comparison game. Um, my wife and I watch HGTV. You ever seen Chip and Joanne? You know what I'm talking about? Down in Waco. Those are, that's a cool couple. By the way, I lived in Waco for a little period. Don't worry, it wasn't during the David Koresh years. But I lived down there, and it was, uh, they, they made that town famous now, Chip and Joanne. Like, Waco's finally cool. You know, David Koresh ruined it, and Chip and Joanne make it cool. So... Um, my wife and I will watch that, and what I've noticed is when we're watching Chip and Joanne and stuff, well, then we'll like turn it off and be like, look around our house and be like, dang, our house is ugly. <laughs> and then we walk over to somebody else's house and like, do you have Chip and Joanne been here? Because your place is sweet. Maybe you need to turn off HDTV. Or maybe you need to do this. Let's get back to the passage of Scripture. Take care. Be on guard. That makes sense. I need, I need Luke 12, 15 every time I watch HGTV. I need to take care. I need to be on guard against all covetousness. What is coveting? It's a big deal in the Bible. Here's coveting for you and me. Coveting is an obsession with possession. That's easy to remember. Remember. 
It's kind of like this obsession with possession. Oh, I gotta have that new razor. Oh, I, I gotta have the latest gizmos and gadgets. Oh, I gotta have that. As a kid, you know, you go to school and if you're not wearing all the name brand stuff, you're like, you don't fit in. As a kid in, in, in junior high, I hated it because I never had a name brand pair of Converse. I had the knockoffs from Kmart. Back then, Kmart was really cheap. Kmart's gotten cooler and so is Walmart. Maybe it's me as a parent not caring as much, you know. What did the bird say when it flew over Walmart? Cheap, 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 cheap. <laughs> did you ever hear that before? I like Walmart, man. You know, hey, it came out of Arkansas, so... What is coveting? Coveting is an obsession with possession. Look what Luke says. Uh, G- Luke recorded Jesus' word, take care, be on guard. You be on guard against what? Be on guard against Chip and Joanne? Be on guard against your neighbor that has cool stuff? Be on guard about the kid who's got sweet converse? Be on guard against what? Be on guard against your own wayward, tricky little heart that will latch itself onto anything that looks sweeter than what you got. And it could be a person, it could be a thing, it's anything. So Proverbs also says, above all else, guard your what? Guard your heart. Jesus is after the heart. He's not after the pocketbook, he's after the heart. So he knows that the, one of the greatest enemies of Christ is this desire for material possession and money. Later, he calls and personifies money and calls it a god. He calls it mammon. We'll learn about that in the upcoming weeks. And he says, you can't have both. You can't serve mammon and God. You got to choose which one you're going to serve. What is coveting? Coveting is an obsession with possession. How do you treasure the things you have? You stop playing the comparison game. You don't have to constantly look at somebody else's stuff and compare yourself against it. You just need to take care, be on guard, and remember, life, doesn't, life isn't found in the abundance of possessions. Secondly, I encourage you to rethink contentment requirements. Look what 1 Timothy 6, 8 says, but if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. I'm like, man, Paul, how low can you go, man? Like, I need a little bit more than food and clothing to be content. But what he's doing is he's helping you separate between desires and need or wants and need. What do you really need? You need some food, clothing, shelter, those kind of things. Do you have to have all the latest and the greatest to be happy and content? No, you really don't. If you do, you've got a problem. And honestly, we've all got problems, don't we? We've all got problems. I struggle with contentment. I want the, the newest and the greatest stuff. And then when I walk down the, the trail and I see an iPhone and I just remember how trivial some of these things are. King Solomon said this, it's better to be content with the eyes, with what the eyes can see than one's heart always to crave more. From Old Testament to New Testament, the message is consistent. The heart is the issue. 
your heart will constantly want to gravitate something more to satisfy and substitute the relationship with Christ. God wants to take that place in the heart. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart. What King Solomon says is, look, for one's heart always wants to crave more. Lastly, I want to encourage you to practice giving thanks to God. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Whether you have a little or whether you have a lot, give thanks to God. Uh, Years ago, um, when I first married my beautiful wife, Leslie, oh, about 15 years ago, we lived in less than a thousand square foot little house, dirty old linoleum floors in the kitchen, eight pigs in a blanket. You ever know what those are? It's like a little hot dog with a little thing wrapped around it. They're not pigs, probably, but, you know, pigs in a blanket. We ate those. And then we, would, we didn't have any money. We were working like three or four jobs, paying for school. We, we went and wanted to get married. We got married, and she was working at Red Lobster. I'm blowing leaves, going to college, like being a landscape guy on the side. I'm working at the church. We're patching things together. And we would dance in the kitchen sometimes, that old song, um, it's like something along the lines of, even though we don't have money, I'm so in love with you, honey. And I remember we didn't have a lot, but it was enough. Amen? And what you find out in life is that there's a way, if you walk this thing called the Christian life, that you go, even in the hard times, even in the times when we don't have enough, there's still room to give thanks because God is always good in every circumstance, in every situation. He's good. You may not be able to see it like a cloud rested over the sun, but that sun still shines. You just have to maybe reposition yourself so you can see God's good. In every single circumstance, he's good. So how can I encourage you? I want to encourage you the next steps to finding treasure is first is just commit to a 21-day journey to finding treasure. Maybe this is a reorientation time for you where you need to part with some of the possessions that you have. My encouragement to you is if you've got way too much stuff, you're that guy or you're that gal that has closets filled with shoes and clothes that you're never going to wear. Go give them away. Go give them away. Get rid of it. Bless somebody else. Or if you want to be uh, sweet and savvy, put it on Craigslist. Sell it and, and do that. Or... But this issue of the next 21 days, I want to encourage you to be a part of this message series. Next week, we'll look at what does it look like to lay up treasures in heaven. That's, that's really cool. Um, secondly, I want to encourage you to consider registering for a treasure workshop. This is really important. If you don't have a spending plan, a budget for your family, you got to have one. Uh, a budget is where you become the boss and you tell your money where to go. When you don't have a budget... Money's the boss, and it tells you what to do. And you find yourself with um, so many subscriptions and situations and payments of everything that you, you, you're being robbed and you're short all the time. We're going to have a, a, a treasure workshop. You can register right after service at these tables right behind you. Um, we'll be sending out an email as well, so make sure you're on the North Valley newsletter email deal. Uh, that'll be next weekend. I think it's on a Saturday, so it's a pretty short time frame, but that's incredibly important. If you don't have a budget, you got to get on one. And it's just creating a spending plan. That's all we're telling you to do. We're, we're going to be using some uh, great resources to help give you 
uh, to be able to build a budget and you'll receive a little booklet and the whole nine yards. It'll be great. Lastly, I want to encourage you to maybe purchase this book called The Treasure Principle, written by Randy Alcorn, great writer, Christian uh, theologian on the topic of stewardship and resources. If you haven't read it, uh, you should read it at some point. This message series um, really is, will um, be greatly enhanced if you have that book. Another book I want to encourage you to think about, this is a really cool one. My wife and I just picked this one up and we've been reading it. It's by Rachel Cruz and it's called uh, Love Your Life, Not Theirs. And this is actually Dave Ramsey's daughter and uh, she did an incredible job. It was a number one New York Times best-selling book. And uh, we read, we've been reading this together. Um, we make it a habit of reading a book together every year. Um, if not a couple. And so this is a new one that we've been reading in Seven Money Habits for Living the Life You Want. It's just practical, biblical wisdom I want to encourage you to, to take on. So 21-day journey. We're going to be together. Amen? Okay. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the timeless truths in Scripture from Old Testament to New Testament with spans of thousands of years. Lord, you're looking at issues of the heart when it comes to treasure. And uh, Lord, we want to surrender our hearts to you in this time of worship and thank you for the greatest treasure that we have in a personal relationship uh, through Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate that in our time of communion ahead, in our time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.